All right, the Suns have made some headlines, adding Bradley Beal and Eric Gordon. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. And for an NBA offseason update, we're now joined this portion by Dan Favale, Bleacher Report. And Dan, always good to have you. Let's start with the Suns. After a seemingly, really almost a decade of me begging them, they have added Eric Gordon. He got a low price there to get him, and they've also added many low-salary bench players uh, are any of the Suns' additions, other than Gordon, uh, any better than the feeble bench that we saw the Suns throw out there when they were eliminated by the eventual champion Nuggets? Um, yeah, I do think you know two of the other signings that stand out to me the most are, first and foremost, the Utah Watanabe signing. Uh, he has familiarity playing with Kevin Durant. He's a really good three-point shooter. Uh, he doesn't always take them, though, and so that's something they'll have to overcome if he's passing up shots. As someone who we moved around defensively on the wings, that's absolutely huge. And I think the Kata Bates Diop fire was really good for them. He shot the ball extremely well from three last year. I think a lot of people believe it's over his head. But if he can knock down those shots at even close to a league average clip, he's someone else who gives you a lot of different defensive options um, on the perimeter at a bunch of different positions. And I would even add, look, the Drew Eubank signing. I have questions about him offensively and even defensively, but there's there's real switchability to what he can do in the in the half court. So to to pick up those bodies, especially when you know you know Tory Craig now is not going to be back, that ends up being a pretty big deal. So the quartet of Booker, Durant, Beal, Eaton, and whatever role Gordon's going to fill is that enough to be a championship contender here? Yeah, I mean, look, the big four alone is enough to be a contender if you can get relatively good health from them and then some some of the supporting cast members you have around them. I think when you look at the Suns, um, if you assume that you know a bulk of their big four is going to remain healthy and they wind up hitting on one or two or three of their minimum signings, they're going to be right in the fold. But the two biggest questions for them, um, aside from how is this actual depth going to play out, it's how you do with the health of your main stars, specifically Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal, who both missed, missed a bunch of games over the past couple of years. And while that's fine in the regular season, what does that do to your postseason seeding and then your playoff bracket? How much tougher does it make that? And then I still just have a lot of questions defensively about this team. Throwing in pure stoppers like maybe a Josh Okoge or a Katie Bates-Diop, that, that could perhaps help. But will submarine your, your offense at all? Are you asking too much of DeAndre Ayton and Kevin Durant defensively right now? Are you asking too much maybe of Devin Booker defensively? Is he going to see just more time having to operate at the point of attack as both a facilitator but also on the defensive end and so those are the biggest questions that stand out right now but in terms of pure talent at the top of this roster there is more than enough for them to be a title contender okay let's stick in the western conference here dream on green back to the warriors they also added chris paul does uh, paul fit the warriors and how do the warriors stack up do you think in the western conference right now i don't know if paul's that fits the Warriors. He's probably more adaptable than people give him credit for, but if you're going to have Chris Paul on your team, I would think that you're going to have to run more traditional pick-and-roll, both when he's playing with Steph and, and without Steph. And so that's something to watch. I do think, though, even more so than when they had Kevin Durant, as just a pure orchestrator, Chris Paul gives you a better opportunity to win the minutes you play without Steph Curry, which has been a problem for the Warriors even dating back to those Kevin Durant years. How they stack up against the rest of the, the Western Conference, that's really tough just because you don't know what Clay's going to look like. He played in a bunch of games last year, but he didn't look like himself for, for long stretches. Draymond Green's a year older, even Steph's a year older. Chris Paul 
is older. And so I have questions about the durability of this team and, and how much are they going to be able to get out of Kevon Mooney, Gary Payton II. Do we see Brandon Podzinski, a rookie, play a role right off the bat? Um, so there's just a lot of question marks. But I do think when you kind of look at, you know, even Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody's ability to step up and get more minutes, if they can answer any of those questions sort of in the affirmative, I think I'd put them right up there when we're going to mention Denver and Phoenix is among the foremost contenders in the West. I do still think a fully healthy Warrior squad belongs up there as well. The Lakers, they kept Reeves and Hachimura. They made some interesting additions. Are the Lakers better now than when we last saw them when they were being swept by the by the Nuggets? And did they need to keep D'Angelo Russell? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know if they needed to keep D'Angelo Russell, but I think it was probably good business just to keep his salary slot. So if he does have a good year or if you need salary ballots for a trade, that you know, the $18 million a year isn't necessarily going to, to break you, and it's substantially less than he was making. When I look at their roster, there's definitely more balance and perhaps more upside to it. I love the Gabe Vincent addition as someone who can create a little bit off the dribble, play off the ball, and then defend the point of attack. I just don't know if they're going to be as different or as upgraded as a lot of people believe they are. Their question is still going to be, who is the third best or third most important player on a night-to-night basis for this team? And maybe Gabe Vincent or Rui Hachimura or even D'Angelo Russell can can answer that consistently. But they're still basing this on a a lot of different flyers. They don't have a ton of two-way wings, guys who can defend but also hit a bunch of threes at the other end on this roster. And so I kind of feel like they're in more of a similar spot when we, compared to when we last saw them, but they they're definitely feel at least slightly better or at least have the ability to be better than they were when you look at some of the, the upside swings that they've taken. Dan Favell, Bleacher Report, curling the sports zone. All right, Damian Lillard to Miami. I think it seems to be a good basketball fit. Do you agree with that? And if uh, Lillard does not end up with the Heat, where might he go? Yeah, I think it's a good basketball fit. Uh, he brings exactly what Miami needs, which is some off-the-bounce shooting and more creation in the half court. Um, and he just he's able to play well off the ball. And so that works immediately with Bam and, and Jimmy Butler. And they have the defensive uh, infrastructure to, to insulate him on that end. Whether it actually happens, uh, if it does, I think one of two things are going to need to happen is that Portland accepts probably less than they should to trade Dame, or there's going to be a third or fourth team that really values Tyler Hero that will include assets that can really make the deal more palatable to the Blazers. Uh, Because right now, Miami's best offer doesn't stack up in theory with other teams' best offers. And so if they win this sweepstakes, it's probably because Damian Lillard and his camp have scared other suitors out of the equation. If he doesn't end up in Miami, I think teams to keep an eye on. Brooklyn, of course, has been mentioned a bunch. I could see Utah getting involved just because they have so much pick equity. And it really just wouldn't shock me at this point to see maybe San Antonio after getting Weminyama or even Toronto after losing Fred Van Fleet, if those are two teams that maybe look to accelerate their timelines a little bit. The 76ers still have James Harden. What happens to him? And and what can the 76ers do to improve their chances of at least reaching the Eastern Conference Finals, which is better than what they've done during the Embiid era, to, Embiid era he tried to say, uh, to this point? Uh, the James Harden stuff, I don't know what's going to happen. I do think we'll probably not see a resolution to this until the Damian Lillard situation is resolved, since at least some of those teams, looking at Miami, maybe even the Clippers, are at least tangentially involved um, or at least invested in what happens to uh, to Lillard. Um, beyond that, though, I don't know. I think it's totally on the table that he's back in Philly next season, Harden. 
Uh, I don't know how they improve from here. They had to sit out the first part of free agency. They lost some key guys in George Niang, Shake Milton, Jalen McDaniels. No one who's necessarily mission critical. And you did pick up Patrick Beverly and Mo Bamba. I don't know how much you can rely on them. I don't know what the path is to them upgrading their roster from here on. I don't think you win a James Harden trade and make your roster better. And if you keep him, unless you kind of stumble into some of the guys that are remaining on the free agent market, does Kelly Oubre Jr. come to play um, you know, for the mini-Emily or, or at, at the minimum, and how much does he actually do for your roster? Their best bet at actually making a material upgrade would be, does Tobias Harris's expiring contract, one first-round pick, and then maybe Tyrese Maxey, get us anyone of consequence as of now it doesn't look like that gets them in the Damian Lillard sweepstakes and so what star is going to come on the market that really would elevate their position uh, they're in a very tough spot I fail to see how they're going to be meaningfully better this, this year than they were this past season the Bucks they kept Chris Middleton Brooke Lopez and Jay Crowder they added Robin Lopez is that enough for the Bucks to win the East uh, even if Lillard does end up in Miami yeah, they definitely have enough to win the East. I was a little bit surprised to see Jay Crowder come back after he was confused as to why they traded for him. But I guess losing Joe Ingles, that opens up some minutes for him. The Malik Beasley signing can end up being really huge for them if he hits his threes again. He can get those off in volume and really open up the half court. And it wouldn't shock me to see him be, you know, between him and Jay Crowder, are your fifth closers, most common fifth closers. I think with a team that has Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, who did have that knee procedure, but if he's going to be healthy, you have Drew Holiday. Brooke Lopez is the runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year this past season. If Chris Middleton is going to be able to stay healthy, um, you know the top five to seven, eight guys on this roster are really interesting and capable, and so I think that gives them a shot against anybody in the East, whether that's Boston or a Miami team that has Dame Lillard. Okay, you just mentioned Boston. That's where I'm headed next here. They added Porzingis. I've never been the biggest Porzingis fan, never quite understood why he's considered a difference-making player. Maybe you can change my mind on that. And also, what do you think? Uh, I think it's safe to say it's the new-look Celtics one way or the other. Yeah, look, he was an impact player last year. He was hitting a bunch of tough jumpers off the dribble, facing the floor with a three-point shot. He looked incredibly mobile on the defensive end, especially as a rim protector. Uh, the big question there is going to be, can he stay healthy? He had a relatively good run during that year and a half in Washington, but there's another evidence, there's a lot more evidence that he has all these lower body injuries. And even if he is playing at his peak, you really did sacrifice playmaking and defensive versatility by trading Marcus Smart. Porzingis is not the passer, of course, that Smart is, and he's not going to defend as many positions, isn't going to hold up as well on switches. And so you're relying an awful lot on your other secondary playmakers, or just these dual big lineups that play him with either RW3 or, or Al Horford, um, carving out enough defense and physicality uh, to make an impact. I think it's a worthwhile gamble, um, I, but I do think it's a gamble all the same. And unless this is, you know, unless we see them really hit on the O'Shea Brissett signing, or does Delano Banton turn in anything for Boston, I could see this being a team that needs to make a supplementary move, either still this offseason closer to the trade deadline that above all else adds another playmaker to their fold talking nba with dan favell bleacher report okay i wondered i think for several years now uh what are the mavericks doing including porzingis the last few years uh in months uh trading for kyrie irving and now keeping him how would you evaluate the mavericks I think they've had a pretty good offseason. Um, missing out on Matisse Seibel, who's headed back to Portland, is going to sting a little bit. But keeping Kyrie Irving on a sub-max deal where you don't have to guarantee him more than three years of salary is probably a win for them. 
Um, I really like the Grant Williams acquisition. Whether giving up that 20-30 first-round swap is going to be worth it remains to be seen. But they're a deeper team than they were at the start of the offseason. There are still questions. You know, Grant Williams is going to give them some switchability on the defensive end, but they still do need to load up on wing defenders. And Tybal would have helped that out a bunch. And so I think that's what they're going to have to zero in on, either you know, remaining in free agency. Can they get a flyer on an Io Desunmu? Do they get involved with Kelly Uber Jr.? Or can they make some type of an impact trade where they can uh, acquire a go-to wing defender? Because as of right now, that is what this team is still missing. All right, staying in the state of Texas. The Rockets had plenty of money. Uh, I I was stunned that they paid and gave Josh Landale four years. I think everybody here that watched him play for the Suns is pretty stunned by that. Um, But the Rockets did a lot of stuff. What do you you think of them after uh, the last couple of weeks? I thought everything they did was reasonable. Even the Jock Landale contract is only one guaranteed season, and so that helps them out. Fred Van Fleet, maxing him out, it seems like a ton, but that's only two guaranteed seasons. I thought the Dylan Brooks signing was probably the gutsiest, if maybe the most, you know, if you want to call it a boneheaded move of the offseason for them, guaranteeing him $80 million, even on a declining scale. Uh, he's just so damaging offensively that it's tough to see if he's going to elevate them in the near or, or long term. But I think as a team that's starting to owe some first to Oklahoma City in the coming years, they wanted to accelerate their position. And I respect what they did in going out and getting guys like Landale, who care about defense. Ditto for Fred Van Fleet, who also gives them an offensive organizer. We know Brooks will defend his butt off. Um, and even a Jeff Green, having a high character vet in the locker room. Everything we've heard mm-hmm. coming out of Houston the past couple of years is that there's just sort of no culture or rhyme or reason of what they're doing. And I still think there's a lot to be determined there, but I think they at least signed, with the exception of Dylan Brooks, a bunch of guys who are going to elevate the development of the youth around them rather than take away from it. So we've covered a bunch of teams here. What other teams do you think did a good job or maybe not such a good job in the early part of this offseason? Um, you know, honestly, I think that Portland um, kind of sitting on whatever's happening with Damian Lillard, not being able to reach a resolution before free agency began is a fairly big loss for them. I don't know if it would have changed the outcome with what they did with Jeremy Grant or Matisse Bible, but it certainly would have provided them with uh, some clarity. I do like what uh, Indiana did for the most part, picking up Obi Toppin and then giving Bruce Brown that inflated deal with only one guaranteed year, and so they feel like uh, sort of an understated winner at this point. And I would also say a team that could be a winner or a loser would be the Chicago Bulls. I like the additions of Torrey Craig and Javon Carter. I don't think the Kobe White or Nikola Vucevic deals are bad, but it's just such an uninspiring direction when it looks like they're really trying to maintain the the status quo, when the status quo is, hey, we pop out as a team that can maybe possibly win one postseason series. Now you mentioned a couple of players here that are still out there. Who are some players that you think are still out there that could land in maybe some prime spots and, and be immediate contributors to possibly even good teams? Uh, I think a couple that stand out. I already mentioned Io Desunmu. He's not a traditional point guard, but he can handle the ball. Uh, his shot fell off this past year, but he can finish at the rim, and he defends basically four positions at this point. Kelly Oubre Jr. is still floating around out there. I don't know if he's just sort of waiting to resign in Charlotte once they know what's happening with P.J. Washington, who's probably the best free agent available in P.J. Washington. He is restricted, though, and so there aren't teams that can just go out and offer him uh, a ton of money now that I think every single team has used up a bulk of their their cap space. And so those three names, maybe a Terrence Davis is sort of an undersized 3 and D type player could help out a contender, but I think those are the best names you're looking at on the market right now. 
Okay, last up, it's obviously the Summer League season is underway. The Las Vegas Summer League starts this weekend. Uh, you know, Victor, we're going to see him in the Summer League in Las Vegas. What do you expect or want to see from him? And who else in the Summer League kind of has your attention individually? Uh, to answer the second part of that question first, I think Keegan Murray, he's already kind of shown that there's more off-the-bounce creation to his game. Is Sacramento, they're going to let him explore that in the summer league. Will he get a chance to maybe bust it out uh, in the regular season? Because after the offseason they had, their quickest path to improvement is going to be internal development through him and guys like Fox and Sabonis as well. With Webinyama, I think you're just looking to see, you know, how does he um, do with a ton of defensive attention on him and what are his uh, responsibility is going to be on both ends of the floor. How are the Spurs going to use him? That should kind of clue us into how they plan to deploy him during the, the regular season. And if we're looking at one aspect of his game, I'll just be watching to see whether the, the rim protection, that roving shot blocking translates to, to this level immediately, because I do think that's the most special part of, of what he brings to the table. Dan, appreciate it. Uh, we're going to leave you alone here for a couple of months at least. So thanks for all the knowledge in the last several months. Thanks. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. Take care.